0: classroom come on in take a seat beside me my friend hey look here come ta charlie let's see what he got to say
1: we're back you're watching the road to concord with professor joe bakanovic homeroom is on rumble you just go to rumble and you search the channels for the road to concord it's one word when you find it you go ahead and you click follow not mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, TwitX, and YouTube. You can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and eventually BitShoot. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page at TheRoadToConcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, handouts, homework, and all that stuff for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at Joe at the road to concord.com. Um, I think he's doing pretty good, but but he will e- email you back. And uh, if you find our class is helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them. Warn them. Joe is an acquired taste, and he has had unleavened donuts today. Yeah,
0: they don't have the same Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't on there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're (coughs) free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Oh, good morning. Pretend I'm a camel for a second. Mike, 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 Guess what day it is? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let y'all fill in the rest. <clears throat> good morning. It's Wednesday, worship day. <laughs> <laughs> what, donuts? No, there was no donuts. There were scones. And scones are not the same thing as donuts. They're just giant cookies. Chocolate scones, giant chocolate chip cookie. Unleavened donuts. It's not the same thing as donuts, man. It's just... I heard though that Dunkin' Donuts is having a sale on the 29th. You get buy one dozen donuts, you get another for 229. Problem is we don't have a show that day. Okay, anyway. It's Wednesday.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I got Charlie's attention. So anyway, we're gonna finish up our series on the prophetic language today. Um I'm gonna walk you through some of the more complicated passages in, in prophecy. We're going to look at Isaiah 65 and 66, the whole chapters, and we're going to look at Ezekiel 37. And oh boy, are we going to have fun with Ezekiel 37. Then time permitting, we might have a look at some things in the book of Revelation. Um, <laughs> this can be a little different today. Today, we're going to put it all together. Hopefully you've been doing some of your keeping up here. I have updated the, the post on your homework. Um, you know, if you go to the Road to Concord, the blog page, roadtoconcord.com, there's the post right there that deals with understanding prophetic language parts one through four. This is all our reference material that we stuck up there for you. Okay. So you can go through all of that. And uh, I've got my two little handy dandy books. Those two right there are sitting on the desk right now. So we will be using any and all of this as we need it going through the show today but what i'm going to do is just start with um get this up here we're going to start in isaiah 65 it's going to be a little bit of a difficult start stop read because i'm going to get through sections of it and and stop and explain some of it and then we'll pick back up again this is not one we're going to read all the way through and then go back and you know explain it we'll 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 do as we go i've made a word document it's, uh, this is actually Libre, but whatever, you know, free word, free office program or whatever, but hopefully I've got this blown up enough that most people are going to be able to read this. If you're watching on a computer, if you're on your cell phone, I don't know how well this is going to read for you. I'm doing the best I can.
1: This Go is from view full page. Do what now? Go to view and, uh, page width. It'll make it bigger. If you want me. Yeah.
0: View. Dun, dun, dun.
1: And then Where would be full page? It should be... Um, uh, oh, full, well, full screen. You could try full screen.
0: I don't see this anywhere.
1: Down at the bottom. Second to the bottom. Let's try this.
0: Well, that'll help a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's still not doing what I wanted it to do. Well, oh well.
0: this is what we're going to have. This, this is what we're going to live with. Now, we're reading from a New American Standard Bible. Thank you, Charlie. What you see there in italicized blue... That's not actually in the text. That's just a subheading that was added by the people who translated the scriptures. I did not change out the names for the sacred names. Where you see the Lord, it means Yahweh. Where you see God, it's Elohim. Um, I'm not going to be too worried about that today. Um, A lot of those who are studying with us today are probably not as up to speed with us on, on names and why we use the sacred names and everything. So for now, you know, since we're dealing with a difficult enough subject, let's just stick with this and keep it simple. So Isaiah says, we're going to start in chapter 65. I permitted my, this is Yahweh speaking. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who do not seek me. Now, you see these italicized words right here, for me, this this part that I just highlighted, when you see them in italics, in an NASB Bible, most of your Bibles, a study Bible anyway, that means that that's, that's a gloss that was added by the translators. The text actually says, I did not permit myself to be sought by those who did not ask. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek. So when you see these italic words, that's a gloss that's been added to help us understand it in English. So here what Yahweh's saying is he's permitted himself to be found by people who weren't looking for him. It said, I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. I ha- now understand, every time you see the English word nation, you need to check almost almost every time it's, it's goyim or goy behind that, the Hebrew word. Sometimes it could mean Gentile, non-Hebrew. Um, the context is very important, especially with the prophets. So. In this case, I don't know that I would have translated this nation. I would say to a people which did not call on my name. Nation work, but it'll maybe get us not understanding who Yahweh is talking about here. This is He's talking to Israel. He's talking about his people. Verse 2, he says, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts of people who continuously or continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit amongst graves and spend their night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots. So he's talking about an apostate Hebrew nation. He's talking about Israel when it turns away from him. See, it doesn't walk in the way, in the way which is is not good. They walk in a different teaching a different different religious practices. They're making up their own rules here. Yahweh's yelling at them for this, basically. In verse 5, he says, Who says, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. He's talking about the Israelites. They say, you keep to yourself, Yahweh. We're holier than you are. Well, the Pharisees did this. The rabbis do this. The, the rabbis in the rabbinical writings, they say they have authority over the scriptures. And remember, in the Hebrew, holier than you means more set apart than you, means better than you, You know, more special or gooder. Um, so this is a condemnation of his own people, Yahweh's people here. And then it continues, it says, these are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day, all the day. This is a, a case where smoke is not a good thing. That doesn't represent prayers in this case. This represents something that's angering Yahweh, angering God. His behold, it is written before me. And in this case, that means the, the, the law is in front of him. Yahweh is looking at his own law, written before me, laid before me, in front of me. I will not keep silent, but I will repay I will even repay into their laps both your own wrongdoings and the wrongdoings of your fathers together, says the Lord, because they have burned incense on the mountains and scorned me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their laps. You're going to get paid back according to your deeds. This is a book of revelation. If you're in the book of deeds, you're going to be judged according to your deeds. What you reap, so so shall you sow. And what Yahweh is saying when he says, behold, it is written before me, he's saying, I have to do this. It's the law. If I don't, I'm not Yahweh. Then he goes here, says, this is what the Lord says. This is what Yahweh says. Just as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it, so I will act in behalf of my servants in order to not destroy all of them. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and an heir of my mountains from Judah. My chosen ones shall inherit it and my servants will live there. Now, it doesn't specifically reference this, but do you remember when Yeshua, Jesus says, you know, you don't put new wine into old wineskins? This is similar thinking here. He says, just as the new wine is found in a cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it. That's going to be similar thinking. Wine here, in this case, being a new teaching or... um, a renewal, but he says, so I will act on behalf of my servants. This case, it's Yahweh's people in order to not destroy all of them. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob. That means all 13 tribes. He's going to bring forth offspring from the descendants of all the different tribes and an heir on my mountains, mountains from Judah. Now that's not Israel. He said, Judah, what heir comes out of Judah. Talking about Yeshua here. This is Messianic language, folks. My chosen one shall inherit it. My chosen ones, meaning his people, shall inherit his kingdom. My servants will live there. And Now, this is another passage here. Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks. That's a Sharon is a big flat. Um, it's used in the scripture for two different places. And you, and the biggest place is a big flat uh, plain area in the northern part of Israel. And it's where there's a lot of flocks, but it's also in connection to where the final battle of Armageddon will be brought. So, it, the area of Sharon or Sharon, however you want to pronounce this, it's not necessarily always connected with good things. It can bring on the idea of the final battle, but the next one is where we get our parallelism. That's where we get the idea that Sharon here, in this case, might be talking about the area where the Battle of Armageddon is supposed to be fought. It says, and the Valley of Achor, a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. Okay, right here we've got some Hebrew parallelism going on. The Valley of Achor, th- this is a Hebrew idiom that definitely means sh- tribulations, trials, hardship. So the valley of hardship is going to become a resting place for herds. Well, you're thinking cattle, right? Well, the very next verse tells you, for my people who seek me. So Sharon and the valley of Acor, places of trial, trials and tribulations, will become a resting place for the people who seek me. You're going to find peace through the tribulations. This is, this is what Isaiah is trying to tell us. They don't have physical, you know, earth shadows, physical reflections, but he's this is a spiritual Message of encouragement. Then, in the red, here again, he says, "But as for you who abandon the Lord, who abandon Yahweh, who forget my holy mountain, my kingdom, remember mountains, kingdoms, who set a table for fortune, for money, and for material gain, fill a uh, fill a jug of mixed wine for destiny, mixed wine, uh, strong drink and drunkenness and sin, I will destine you for the sword, death." All of you will bow down to the slaughter. In other words, you're going to be killed because I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. Instead, you did evil in my sight and chose that which I did not delight. So you went your own way. He's still talking to his people, parts of Israel, you know, what we would think of as Israel, the Hebrews. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Okay, Those who obey and serve Yahweh will eat, but those who rebel will be hungry. This is not necessarily physical food. This could be entirely spiritual and always, with the prophets, always look spiritual first, then physical. Behold, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Behold, my servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you will cry out, from a painful heart, and you will wail from a broken spirit. Painful heart and broken spirit gives us a good indication that these this is a spiritual message first. It says, you will leave your name as a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord God will put you to death. You're going to leave your name behind. Your, your character, your reputation will be a curse to those who follow and obey Yahweh. It says, but my servants will be called by another name, Because the one who is blessed on earth will be blessed by the God of truth. And the one who swears an oath on the earth will swear by the God of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because the former troubles are forgotten, because they are hidden from my sight. That's going to reference the eternal kingdom right there. The former, former troubles are forgotten, hidden from Yahweh's sight. Now, the new heaven and the new earth, this is just the subtitle that's been added in there by the translators. This is for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing. Or in this case, because the four has been added, I create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people gladness. Well, it could be four. It could also be I create Jerusalem at rejoicing in her people or gladness, our gladness. Sometimes our translators don't always get everything perfectly right, um, not because they don't understand the language, but because they may not understand what the prophets trying to tell us. And that's why when we approach the prophets, we need to do so with great reverence and great care and not try to force an understanding on everything they say. It's okay to say, I don't have any idea what the prophet's talking about. He continues, I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives only a few days or an old person who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of a hundred will be thought accursed stop. Here's one of the places where we have to go, okay, um, should I or shouldn't I be reading that as literal? Why do I say this? Well, we've got to understand what, um, what the rest of prophecy tells us. Let's go right here. Put this up real quick. Just stick with me. We're in the book of Revelation chapter 21, verse four, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, which is very reminiscent of what Isaiah was saying. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Well, that passage we were just reading in Isaiah it talks about the first things. And it says there'll be no more crying. All of that stuff's going to be all cleared up, right? But that passage was also talking about death. No longer will somebody die at an early age. Well, this is where the prophets swirl things together. How do you make sense of this? Well, there's an easy way for me to make sense out of this, but most people don't like the way I see this. Charlie, you might want to turn your microphone on just in case you want to chime in here. If I'm going to read this literally like so many of us do, well, then this is not going to make sense because he cannot, in this case, Yahweh speaking through um, Isaiah Isaiah rather cannot mean the, the new earth, even though he's just said, I create a new earth. He can't mean that because when the new earth is created in Revelation, there's no more death. But then he just said new earth. So why is everybody dying? How do we make sense of this? Unless, of course, it's kingdom now and not yet. You see where I get that, Charlie? Yes. That's the only way I've ever been able to make sense out of this passage. Otherwise, this passage is self-contradicting. Unless it's kingdom now, but not yet. In which case, we need to be very careful with this. This is probably spiritual language, not literal. So in the kingdom age, you'll live a full life if you're a believer.
1: And I think this is, if if what I'm thinking right now is correct, which it may not be, this is talking about how we need to kind of endure to the end yes. through the tribulations that we do have here, with our eye on the eternal kingdom, the the spiritual kingdom, because this is talking about you know an infant, you know, because because you talk about new believers, they're an infant in the faith, and then. You know, it's talking about, you know, the old person, and then, you know, you've got some Hebrew parallelism going here. There's chiasm here. Uh, The youth will die at an age of 100, and you know, and one that does not reach an age of 100 will be thought accursed. It's if if you don't hold on till the end, you're going to have problems.
0: Perfect. You saw the chiasm in it. Yes, the chiasm which helps us under folks. If you didn't see what he's talking about, says no longer will an infant who lives out only a few days. Then then at the bottom and the one who does not reach the age of a hundred will be thought of cursed. Those are parallel. An old person who does not live out his days for the youth will die at the age of a hundred. The youth will die at the age of a hundred an old person does. This is, this is a chiasm and it's parallelism. And in, in what Charlie just said is this is spiritual maturity, holding out and running your race to the end. So, when we read this without understanding that there's a prophetic language and it's highly symbolic and its spiritual kingdom first and physical manifestations later, we will often force understandings over top of it that don't belong there or probably don't belong there. So, how are we doing with that so far there, Charlie?
1: yeah, I think we're I think we're good.
0: all right, let's keep going with this one, and you'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute. Verse 21, they will build houses and inhabit them, and they will also plant vineyards and eat the fruit. They will not build another and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. In other words, you will reap your own rewards. You take care of yourself in this regard. For as a lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people, and my chosen one will fulfill and fully enjoy the work of their hands, chosen ones. They will not labor in vain or give birth to children for disaster for they are descendant of the house, blessed by Yahweh, blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will come to pass that before they call, I will answer while they're still speaking. I will listen. The wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will not, they will do no evil or harm on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Okay. Now here's. Here's where we got to be careful with this. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. All right. What is the wolf in Yeshua's way of using the wolf? This is somebody who sneaks into the flock to tear it apart. This is a a servant of of Satan, Satan. The lamb, that's going to be symbolic of the sheep, the flock, you know, Yahweh's people. This could very well be the wolf and the lamb grazed together. This is the wheat and the tares. Yahweh will allow them both to live together in 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 this period of time, and the lion will eat straw like an like the ox. Don't know what to make of that one, but I do know this, that a lion can't live off a straw; its digestive system won't process it. So I don't know if we're talking literal here, or if this is more than likely this is this is figurative. Because and dusk will be the serpent's food. Well, this could be lion. Who's a lion? Judah. So Judah will eat something that's you know straw whatever just not meat not tear things apart no death no killing but the serpent already eats food remember genesis Well snakes don't live off of dust So this is probably figurative and this is they will do no evil or harm on my holy mountain my holy mountain is the kingdom of Yahweh Well Joe we've had wars over Yeah I know but spiritually There was peace for a long time while Satan was bound. If we're looking spiritually first, we also saw a lot of things done in the world that wouldn't have been done before Yeshua's crucifixion. It did change the way man treated each other, on the macro, on the whole. The problem is we're looking for the whole world to become this way, but during the kingdom, it's only the remnant. The remnant has always been small
1: in the lion and the ox could that not be the two houses
0: it could be
1: it Just could be possibly
0: that's actually very good that definitely would work because the lion is the house of judah and the ox is ox the is, is ephraim ephraim very good charlie good see this is how the prophetic language works it's very likely that charlie's got a good good observation here that i missed We roll into Isaiah 66 and it says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool for my feet. It says, where then is a house you could build for me? In other words, you people can't build me a temple. I'm bigger than you. It says, where is the place that I may rest? For my hands made all these things. So all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But I will look to this one and one who is humble and contrite in spirit who trembles at my word. All right. Have you heard me tell you before, and I don't know if you've ever caught one of these conversations, but Charlie and I, and Charlie, you're definitely going to want your mic on for this one. Charlie and I have talked about this before. Calvinism says that you're predestined. And I argue that, no, not the individual, but the person who does a certain thing was predestined. And Yahweh, before before he made anything, this is creation language. He's made the universe. Before he even made it, he said, Those who seek me, I will choose. And a lot of people like Joe, where do you get that from? Right there in that last verse. But I will look to this one, this person, this type of person, at one who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. In other words, I will choose these people, this person, the type of the person who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. You see what I'm seeing, Charlie? Oh yeah right there isn't it it is if we want to read it that way but that seems to be exactly how this is written to me and it goes hand in hand with we just had a small reference to creation and then i'm going to choose this one out of creation when we read this one we think like well the man of of uh, lawlessness you think one man no 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 that is not necessarily how they talk this one could mean any person male or female, any person who fits this definition here, humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at the word of Yahweh, he will choose them.
1: And that's the way the Hebrew language works. Yes,
0: it is. But also, if you're humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at the word of Yahweh, there's another word for that in the English language. That's called faith. So I will choose the one who has faith in me. So am I am I in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew mindset, I'm doing okay with that Then in the way I'm reading it, aren't I, Charlie? Yes. Got to read as the prophet wants us to hear this. So hypocrisy is rebuked. It says, but the one who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a person, like a murderer. What? Folks, we're talking about sacrifices here. And the one who sacrifices, see, sacrifices, the one who slaughters the ox is the one who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. And the one who offers a grain offering is like one who offers pig's blood. The one who burns incense, incense is like one who blesses an idol. See, like one, like any person. Well, what's he talking about? If you're offering the, uh, the sacrifices and the offerings that you're supposed to offer, why are you like a murderer and like somebody who breaks a dog's neck and offers pig's blood and, and blesses an idol? That's because you're offering your sacrifice in uh, the way of uh, Cain instead of Abel. It's not with a true heart. It's not a true purpose. It's not the way Yahweh told you to do it. You're, you're doing it your way or with an untrue heart, or just because you have to do it. It's, it's, it's not something you're doing gladly. This is a useless sacrifice. This is useless effort. And in our day, well, we're under the new covenant, Joe. Yes. Live your life and treat your body as living sacrifices. Y'all remember Paul's words. So if we're not living the way we're supposed to under the new covenant, guess what? This same language is going to apply to us. We might as well be a murderer and offering up pig's blood. says, as they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations, so I will choose their punishments and bring on them what they dread. That passage right there tells us that I just read this, right? They chose their own ways. This is like the Northern Kingdom. Okay, we're going to worship Yahweh. We're going to put up two bulls. We're going to make our own priests. We're going to make our own sacrifice. It, they, did it, they did it their way. They did what Yahweh told them, but they did it their way. It, it doesn't count for anything. And Yeshua tells the, the Samaritan woman at the well, you, you, you Samaritans don't know what you worship. So this, is, this passage is telling us clearly that there is a right and a wrong way. And we are talking, we just left the chapter about the new earth. We just la- left the chapter that's talking about kingdom come and not yet. It, 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 just because we're in chapter 60, 66 doesn't mean anything's changed. We're in the same context. Like Charlie says, you know, 20, 2020, 20, 20 passage lines before 20 passage lines after we're still in that context right now. So you always going to choose their punishments. And he says, because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. Instead, they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. In other words, you did it your way or you were totally rebellious. He's still talking to his people, folks. Hear the word of the Lord who tremble it and you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you, who exclude you on account of my name, have said, Let the Lord be glorified, so that we may see your joy. Read that again. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. In other words, the faithful, the remnant. Your brothers, people who call themselves by the name of the Lord, but they hate you. Why would they hate you? because you actually follow Yahweh and not their denominational teachings. Did the Pharisees not hate Yeshua? Yes, they did. They put him to death. Why? Cuz he spoke Yahweh's truth, not their false teachings. That's right here what's in, this is what we're, this is why denominations happen. Because somebody gets in a fight over what the scripture means and they split up and now we got further division in the body something we're commanded not to do. This is what we're talking about here. People who are fighting over the scripture rather than being good bearings, steel sharpening steel, and coming to a common understanding that that particular congregation can accept. We're not doing that. This is people going even further. They're going to go after and kill true believers within the congregations. Remember what Jesus said? There will be people who kill you and think that they're doing God's work. So they exclude you on account of my name, my character, my, you know, Yeshua, Yahweh. And they have said, let the Lord be glorified so that we may see your glory, see your joy rather. It, this is a mocking taunt. It's like the Pharisees saying, we're going to get rid of Yeshua so that God can see how holy we are. But they will be put to shame, a sound of an uproar from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who is dealing retribution to his enemies. It says, before she was in labor, she delivered. This goes right into a piece of poetry here. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Charlie, does this language remind you of anything right off the bat? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Is your mind in revelation right now? Uh, yes. Okay. So this is going to bring about um, the idea of Israel, isn't it? And uh, the oh, birth yes. of the Messiah. Right. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? A land. <laughs> this is the Hebrew word for, is it erats or something like that? Eretz, yes. I, I looked it up last night. And can a nation. Be given birth all at once, and I looked this up, and it, it can be nation, but it can also be: can a people be given birth all at once? And it says, as soon as Zion was in labor, she also delivered her sons. Zion is usually thought to be Israel or the Holy Mountain. Zion is spiritual first. This is the Kingdom of Yahweh. So, before, you know, as soon as the Kingdom of Yahweh was in labor, it gave birth, delivered her sons. This is language of that's been thought to mean this is predicting the birth of rebirth of Israel. You know, can a nation be born in one day? And it may be that could be an earth shadow. But what what was born in one day on a cross around thirty two thirty three A.D. when he said it is finished? Spiritual kingdom brought back into being. The restoration of all things began. It was here now, but not yet. Could be. I always look spiritual first. That's how I'm seeing this. I will see physical reflections. That doesn't bother me at all. But I'm looking spiritual first. The spirit, the, the kingdom is being restored. Says, "Shall I?" And that would go hand in hand with the language in Revelation, wouldn't it, Charlie? Yes. about bringing the Messiah? Oh, yes. They would connect, especially in the Hebrew mindset. This would swirl together very nicely. So it says, shall I bring to the point of birth but not give delivery, says the Lord? Now, that's a prophetic sign for saying, should I make all my promises and prophecies and not fulfill them? It says, or shall I who gives delivery shut the womb, says your God? That That's Hebrew parallelism. It means the same thing. It means, shall I not be God and not keep my word? So in other words, he's going to keep his promises, and, and the nation will come forth. This is talking about the kingdom will prevail. The kingdom will succeed. Now, it says, joy in Jerusalem's future. Now, be careful with how you understand this. Most people want to read this figured, um, literally, that we're talking about the city of Jerusalem. Maybe, yes. But the city of Jerusalem in Re- the book of Revelation that comes down from heaven, that's the city of that's imagery of the kingdom of Yahweh the shining city on a hill remember we've covered this in our in earlier classes what the city represents you got the city on seven hills because that's the kingdom of Satan Jerusalem is also a figuratively in the prophetic language the city in in Jerusalem those are the same things Jerusalem is just the name for the city which is the mount and it's on the mountain of Zion it's mountain of uh Mount Hermon I mean not Hermon um Mount Moriah, excuse me, Moriah. Ooh, that was a bad mistake, Joe. Uh, Mount Moriah, I'm bad with names, folks. Um, Temple Mount. But all of this is imagery that goes together. It says, be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, all you all you who mourn over her so that you may nurse the satisfied with her comforting breasts, so that you may drink fully and be delighted with her bountiful breasts. This is nourishment, the city, the kingdom. For this is what the Lord says, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip and rocked back and forth on the knees, comforting a child. This is giving you the imagery of a mother nourishing and feeding and growing a child. Yahweh, he just just talked right up here about bringing forth his kingdom, his people, his nation. Now I'm going to nurse you and I'm going to rock you back and forth on my knees. That's what he's talking about. It's going to take care of his people. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Okay? That's that's parallelism right there too. In Jerusalem, folks, you can't all physically fit into that city. Not all believers can do that. This is new heaven and new earth stuff, right? We're still in that context. But you can do it if it's a spiritual kingdom and the whole earth is filled with the mountain of Yahweh because then Jerusalem would be everywhere on the earth. Yeah, Joe, but the, the measurements in, in in the book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better be careful with that. Pay attention to the, to the numbers that are used there. That, that's figurative language as well. Remember, the prophetic language is figurative. Look for the spiritual first, then the physical. This is verse 14, then you will see this and your heart will be glad and your bones will flourish like the new grass. Bones. Hold on to that. That's going to be important in the next chapter we read after this one. And the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but he will be indignant toward his enemies. This is judgment day things again. Please pay attention. We're in the new heaven and the new earth, Right. We're, we're in the, I'm going to, I'm going to cradle and love and and nurture my people, Jerusalem, but I'm going to be indignant to my enemies. Well, what are his enemies for behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots, like the whirlwind whirlwind to render his angry anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on humanity. That sword be in the word of his mouth. And those put to death by the Lord will be many. We are firmly in the book of Revelation right now, folks. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to the gardens, to go to the gardens, following one in the center, who eat pig's flesh, detestable things, and mice, will come to an end altogether, declares the Lord. Okay. What's that got to do with anything, Joe? you think that you've been given away with the with the um, the, la- the uh, dietary laws? I-, I know a lot of believers have been taught well, the dietary laws aren't there anymore. Why if the dietary laws are gone away, this is this is very likely before the second coming. This passage here, remember Yesh- Yahweh sends Yeshua back the second coming and he destroys all the non-believers with fire in the word of his mouth? Isn't that what this? For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with, so this is second coming, right? So at the second coming, he's after people who are still eating pigs' flesh and mice and detestable things and doing it their own way. But I thought that 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 wasn't a problem anymore. I don't know that it's, gonna cost you your salvation but you better wrestle with that dietary thing because it's not what you're eating it's whether or not you're being obedient that's what's really in in focus here is your willingness to be obedient did you see in isaiah 65 and 66 where he talks about my obedient servants versus everybody that does it their own way
1: and something about this that we don't catch in the english because we we usually used the word holy set apart but in hebrew it's set apart so when you're doing these things you're separating yourself from those others that will be under that condemnation so that's how you're it's kind of a sign of your separation
0: right set apart from the world right you're not worldly um that's why we wear well (laughs) hold on that's why charlie and i wear our tzitzit little right here yep the lord tells you to put those on the corners of your clothing and it's all it is is to remind you to keep his word remind you that he's with you keep you straight in your thoughts during the day um we don't do it because we're trying to earn our way into anything we're not doing it because we're legalistic i do it most i'm not sure i'm still required to but i do it mostly just to remind myself he's with me he's watching me all the time and half the time it doesn't work, but that's an excuse that Scripture doesn't support. Scripture says you can live righteously.
1: And it and it's a visual indication even to others that yes. you're set apart. I, yep. I know I had an instance where I walked in somewhere and and the guy saw my t t and he goes, oh, you're a member of the tribe and because he was Jewish. And it helped me out.
0: B.B. and I were leaving Walmart. I mean, Sam's one day and the gentleman checking us out said shalom when he saw it. So he understood he was Israeli too <laughs> So that's the passage we're in So we're going to continue now it's in verse 18 it says "For I know their works, their thoughts the time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues, all the Gentiles and tongues and they shall come and see my glory and I will put a sign among them and send survivors from them to the nations I will send fishers of men Tarshish put, Lud, Meshach, Tubal, Yavon, and to the distant coastlands that have neither heard of my fame nor seen my glory. And he's going to send out the apostles, and he's going to send out his disciples to go teach the gospel. So look, at the very least, we're in swirled language here, aren't we, Charlie? This is neither oh, very yes. end times, nor we, but we are in what we would think of as the church age at some point. And all of this imagery is swirled together. Because, you know, if this was very end times, like a lot of people think, well, it would have been after his gospel had been preached to all corners of the earth, wouldn't it, Charlie? Would, yeah, if
1: you look at it from that. Yeah, from that view, perspective.
0: But... but if we're looking at it as as a an epoch time, a, a prophecy spanning a huge period of time, what we might think of as the church age, then all of a sudden these two chapters of Isaiah aren't quite so confusing and mysterious. Right. They start to make a little bit more fuzzy shape. So neither my fame nor seen my glory. And they will declare my glory amongst the nations. In other words, teach the gospel. They shall bring all of your countrymen from all the nations as a grain offering to to Yahweh, to the Lord, on horses, in chariots, in litters, on mules, and on camels, to my holy mountain in Jerusalem. Well, if this is the spiritual world, where's the mountain? The mountain is the kingdom. And where's the temple? Wherever two or more are gathered in his name. This works, folks. So says the Lord, and just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, clean meaning set apart, I will also take some of them as priests and Levites, says the Lord. Now, Charlie, if they're not natural-born Levites, they can't be priests. Otherwise, Yahweh's breaking the law, is he not?
1: Uh. But if they're from the
0: lost tribe of the Levites, from the house of Israel, then that works, doesn't it?
1: Yes, but you also have a high priest that is not of the tribe of Levites. But he's of Melchizedek. He's of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Yeah. But
0: he's going to take them priests, Levites, says the Lord. This kind of, I don't think we should read that literally. I think that's spiritual. Are we not, as believers under the new covenant, a nation of priests?
1: Yes, and and it and if you if you look at it, you, you have to go back to even before uh, Mo, Mo, Moses, because right. who were supposed to be the original priests?
0: It was the order of Michael. Um... However, you pronounce well, it.
1: well. You could do that, but but if you if you see the progression there, the firstborn yes were set apart to Yahweh yes, but instead of doing that, he designated the tribe of Levi to serve in that capacity. Mm-hmm. So the firstborns actually serve in that capacity. If you go back, you know, even further. And then you've got the Melchizedek and stuff. So it it, it gets swirly. Through yes, there.
0: but if we're reading this literally, there's no way to just, you can't, by, by justify, I mean, you can't make
1: sense of that passage. Right. And I mean, in a few, look, I believe in Paul's writings, it says that we're supposed to be a kingdom of Yes, it of does, several priests,
0: times. And so. also says that in, uh, Yeshua says that in the book of Revelations, he'll take us as priests. Yes. Now, here's the thing. Isaiah is writing before the cross. So if he wants to talk to his audience about priests, he might use Levites. Yes. Because the idea is still going to work. He doesn't have to worry about the nitpicky oil. Well, it's actually the order of or whatever. He doesn't have to worry about that. That's not what he's trying to communicate to his audience. In other words, he's going to take for, from the Goyim, from the nations, priests. Yes. You know how shocking that is to a Jew?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It would be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay,
0: but, there's what we're really hitting at right here. This is going to be like, holy crap, no, Yahweh, no. We're the chosen people. And here's Yahweh telling them, no, 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 I'm going to gather from all the nations.
1: Yes, and, and really, w- what is a priest is just somebody that's set apart to do specific things within uh, the kingdom. So, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, just let's keep going, right? We're still, for just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. So will your descendants and your name endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me,
1: says Yahweh. Okay, now, there, <laughs> there may be some parallelism going on There's here. There's a lot going on that, right that, there. That people don't see, because if you go back up there, it talked about a sign will be given. Yep. And here we're talking about from Shabbat to Shabbat.
0: No, it's a sign. Uh,
1: very possibly, I don't know for certain. The but Sabbath that, is a sign. But that sign that was talked about earlier in this chapter may be talking about the, the Shabbat, the Sabbath.
0: But you're also here. Now you are talking about after the judgment. Because look what the very next passage is. Then they will go out and look on the corpses of the people who have rebelled against me, for their worm will not die and their fire will not be extinguished. What language does that come from? And they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. That's, Yeshua is, when he talks about where the worm doesn't, he could be paraphrasing Isaiah right here. All right. And remember, why are we keeping the Sabbaths and the in the new moons in the, in the eternity? Yahweh says, I do not change. Well, if that's true, we kept them before the cross, and we're going to keep them in eternity. What happened in the middle, folks? Did Yahweh change in the middle? No. The new moon festival and the Sabbaths, and the new moon's actually part of the Sabbath, they never went anywhere. We were supposed to still be keeping these things. And there is a small remnant that always has. It never quit. That's why the Sabbath was never lost. We've lost the months and all sorts of other things. We've never lost the Sabbath. These two passages in Isaiah, they're they're complicated. They're, they're, they're difficult. These are not easy to understand and negotiate. And I'm not telling you, no, I know all of them, but I have a sneaky suspicion that those of you who have studied these before, who just listened to me read through them, I'm seeing something very different than what you probably have in the past. I'm not telling you I'm right, but it fits. And I think maybe hopefully you caught on to the fact that I was bringing lots of other passages into the discussion. When I read the prophets now, for me, I've studied this for years. When I read the prophets, it sets off the fireflies all in my head. I'm being very choosy right here. I'm trying to go slow. I'm trying to be, I don't mean to be condescending or talking down to anybody, but it's like I'm taking a new believer's hand and walking them through some of this stuff little bit harder each week, a little bit more, a little bit deeper. And I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I don't, I don't read this perfectly, but for me, if you ever sat with me in, in like where I'm talking to other teachers or other really good studiers of the scripture, boy, would you see me throwing out the fireflies. And I think I can get a witness with, from Charlie on this one, when he and I have discussions, I sling all sorts of scripture into these things that And when I do, it starts connecting, doesn't it, Charlie? Oh yeah, yeah. It's there, and it'll come to you too as you study it.
1: But if you've got to spend time in the Word,
0: you got to know the whole Scripture, the whole Scripture. Um, the the passages we just read, there's connotations of all of that in the Book of Revelation. And we're gonna when we're gonna go to a break. When we come back, we're gonna do Ezekiel thirty-seven, the dry bones and the two sticks. Oh. Do I read that differently? You'll see. But the whole book of Zechariah is the book of Revelation. There's almost nothing in the book of Revelation that isn't touched on in the book of Zechariah. But that that won't make any sense because most people think Zechariah is talking about the very end, the very, very end, the second coming. But if you read it in the context of the whole scriptures, it couldn't possibly be. He has to be talking about the only thing that's ever made sense for me, the only thing that doesn't, in my mind, put scripture in conflict is he's got to be talking about the kingdom now, but not yet. And didn't Yeshua say the kingdom has come upon you? But it isn't fully here yet. Hmm. So we'll, we're we're going to take the break now, a little early. When we come back, let's read Ezekiel 37. And I got a feeling we're going to get a lot of help from Charlie on this one as we go through it. So we'll see you in six minutes. Make sure you're back in your pew because this one's going to even be better than the than Isaiah chapter. I promise. <laughs> see you in a few. you're all back in your pews. We're going to get going here. We're going to be reading Ezekiel 37. I'm going to read it just a little slower than I was doing Isaiah. We're going to have to do a lot of popping in and out on this one, and we probably should expect Charlie to chime in whenever he feels like it. I'm going to be reading this in a way that might end up being different than what most of y'all have ever heard before. So this is Ezekiel 37 from the New American Standard. Remember, if it's in blue, that's been added by the translators. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Ah, uh, bones. I told you last hour, we're going to get into this today. This is what we're talking about. This is a, there's a prophetic meaning behind this. He had me pass among them all around, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. I'm going to stop right there. Dry bones. Let's go over here. Remember our Bible chart, our symbology chart from your homework? Bones. A person or persons. Judges 9, 2. It says, uh, speak, I pray ye, in the ears of the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jeroboam, or whatever the heck his name is, which are uh, three score and ten persons, reign over you, or that one, Uh, one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. So that's a person, bone and flesh as in relative and all. But now we go to 2 Samuel 5.1. Then came all of the tribes of Israel to David and unto Hebron and spake, saying, behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. So bones can be symbolic of people, a people like, you know, you're born to each other. But in the prophetic language, dry bones, lack of the Holy Spirit, human impossibility, and extreme hardship. What's going on in Ezekiel 37? These dry bones may very well be the bones of dead people, but that's not the spiritual message being described here. Let's keep looking. They were very dry. They were without the Holy Spirit. These are people who have no spiritual life. And then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, you know yourself, you know you yourself know. Again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says to these bones, behold, I am going to make breath enter you so that you may come to life, and I will attach tendons to you, make flesh grow back on you and cover you with skin and put breath in you so that you may come to life. And you will know that I am the Lord. All right. Skin. My little book. Look it up. What does skin mean? It's a protective covering. In the New Testament, anyone in the body of Christ who is the protector and covers other members is like part of the great spiritual skin. Christ being the skin over the body. This verse is referred to in the famous Dry Bones about a people who will be formed and raised up as an army and as one man in the last days. This prophecy refers to both natural Israel and the church. And he will cover all his believers with his protection and he will then breathe the resurrected life into us as a body and as never before, but also as a kingdom. Do you remember it says that I'll put my spirit into you? In uh, Jeremiah, the new covenant, right? Um, Charlie, what does the spirit do? Doesn't that give the life? Yes. It's life-giving. So who in Jeremiah was that promise actually made to? Judah or Ephraim?
1: Uh, This would be to Ephraim. It was
0: made to the house of Israel. These bones here, these are people who have no spiritual life. They're spiritually dead. They were divorced. It's talking to Ephraim. And yes, it's also talking about at the very end of time when everybody's reunited. This, everybody reads and says, this is Israel coming back as a nation. Maybe. That prophecy would work for all of those. Would it not, Charlie? Yes. So sometimes when we look at the physical world and we say, see, it means this. No, it means that. No, it means that. Spiritually, it means all of those things. Anytime I bring a... Spiritually dead body, the bones, dry bones, spiritual death. If I bring it back to life spiritually, it fits this prophecy. So rather than the body dividing over how we read it and see it in the physical world, if we looked first to the spiritual, then to the physical, we could agree and unite a lot easier than when we fight over it because we all have a different, we're all seeing one of the earth shadows when there could be many. Is that working for you, Charlie? Yes. All right, verse 7. Let me pop this back up so y'all can see it a little easier. So I prophesied and I, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a loud noise, and behold, the rattling, and the bones came together. Bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, tendons were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, the Lord God says this, Come from the four winds, breath, and breathe on these slain so that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Um, Charlie, the Hebrew word there, breath, is ruach. It is. Would you like to tell the audience what else that means?
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, How long do I have? (laughs) (laughs) As long as you need. Because, I mean... Ruach is, I mean, it means wind. It means breath. It means, it can it even mean life as it's talking about here. And uh, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Uh, you know, it, yeah.
0: So would that not fit with while. the new covenant?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely.
0: Bringing the spiritually dead back to life? Because yes. even Judah was spiritually dead at the time. Even though it wasn't divorced, they were not in covenant, proper right. covenant with Yahweh. Right. Ha. Ha. So now the vision explained. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the entire house of Israel. Gee, I wonder why I was getting the impression that we were actually talking about people and not a nation. Remember, if we keep reading, the prophet will explain it for you. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. They were divorced. We are completely cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord says. Behold, I am going to open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Now, this is a difficult one. Everybody says, well, that's definitely, that's that's the resurrection. Yes, it could be. Which one, first or second? What, what 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 do you mean, Joe? Well, if you are a born again believer now, before the second coming of Christ, before the resurrection, you are still you. you died with Christ, and you're raised again, a new man into the living, into the kingdom, an eternal life. Your Your name is now in the book of life. You've been born again. Your Your first resurrection. Uh, I know a lot of people don't necessarily believe that's the first resurrection, but Paul says it is. So when did you come out of your grave? When you were born again, or are you waiting for when you come out of your grave after having physically died and then get resurrected and come out of your grave? And when exactly does the Holy Spirit enter you? I thought that happened when you became born again, when you crossed over and you became a Hebrew. You see, it could be all of that and more. You seeing anything here, Charlie? That's setting off any fireflies.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it. (laughs) The answer is yes.
0: (laughs) The answer is yes. Because when we, when if we, these prophecies are deep, folks. They're broad and deep, and they span courses of time. And when we try to narrow them down and and put a hyper focus on them, we take them out of their proper context. We pervert them. And that's when we end up arguing with each other when we shouldn't be. Now let's go over the reunion of Judah and Israel. Because we've already seen, right up here, this is important, son of man, these bones are the entire house of Israel. Now that doesn't, that's house of Israel. Does that say Jacob? No. If it was all Hebrews, it would have said Jacob. That's in the prophetic language. Well, it said the entire house, Joe. Yeah, that's all of the lost tribes are the dry bones. In other words, the very people that the new covenant was aimed at. Who did Yeshua say he was sent to? But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, those are Jews, Joe. No, they are not. Now, hold on. I know a lot of people argue about the two house, quote unquote, theory in scripture. They have not read Ezekiel 37 very carefully. Go down to verse 15. The word of the Lord came came again to me saying, now you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Hmm, everybody reads that as meaning, well, those are all the Jews. No, for Judah and the sons of Israel, now that's not gonna be the house of Israel, that's the sons of Israel. Why would Judah have companions from all the tribes? Did anybody read the history of the splitting of the two tribes? A lot of the people from the north moved down to Judah. Judah has spannerings from all the tribes. you got to know the history. You have to know your Bible. So Judah has people from all the tribes with them. says, then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. The stick of Ephraim, he's the leader. And all the house of Israel, his companions. So I have a stick for Judah, and then I have a stick for Ephraim.
1: Go into the actual Hebrew here. That's a literal stick. It's yes. There, it's, it, it's a uh, it, it's a piece of wood. It's not a scroll. It's not a book. It is a literal stick. This is an object lesson.
0: Yes, this is like taking two a broken staff and putting it back together again. Yes. Because it just said, then put them together for yourself, one to another, into one stick so that they may become one in your hand. In other words, Yahweh's going to put the people back together. This is like Jeremiah taking the pot and breaking it in front of the king, saying, see, your kingdom's going to be broke up. Now we're going to take that broken kingdom, and two sticks, and put it back together again. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, "Will you not declare to us what you mean by these?" Say to them, "This is what the Lord God says: Behold, I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim. Ephraim has the what? Birthright. He's the leader of the house of Israel, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah." and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. One people again. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes, and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am going to take the sons of Israel from amongst the nations. This is the second Exodus. Where they have gone, and I will get sons of Israel, sons of the man Israel. This is all the tribes. Another way of saying Jacob. Who is Israel the man? Jacob. And I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. This is the promised land, the holy land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountain of Israel. Well, you can't make all of God's people into one nation on the Temple Mount. It's not big enough. But if I see this as the kingdom of Israel, Mount Zion, I'm going to make them one nation on Zion. Well, that could be the whole world if Yahweh wants it to be just like nebuchadnezzar's dream remember the mountain will take up the whole world the whole earth so in the prophetic language this is not necessarily just the holy land it is the holy land but not necessarily just and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms what 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 what, what, what did that just say charlie <laughs> yeah I'm not supposed to have two kingdom theology between the house of Israel and the house of Judah.
1: Right, but here it is.
0: And, and who's talking here?
1: And you you've got to understand this is where, you know, reading 2020 uh will help especially my Mormon friends who really twist this scripture through here.
0: Yeah, this is not Joseph Smith. This, this is, is
1: this is Joseph the son the two of Kingdoms. Yes
0: that it clearly says this and Very they will clear. no longer be two nations and it does say it says two goyim but it says two peoples two nations and no longer be di- divided into two kingdoms now that's hebrew parallelism right it'll say goyim there for nations but it says kingdom the hebrew word for kingdom there that's hebrew parallelism the two nations are the two kingdoms they're also the two witnesses they will no longer defile themselves with their idols apostasy or with their detestable things, or with any of their offenses. In other words, they are no longer going to worship falsely. But I will rescue them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. This is this is where the two-kingdom theology comes from, folks, this and Jeremiah. So if I put Jeremiah with Ezekiel, what do I have? Two witnesses. And on the, and then you're going to get it in Isaiah too if you're reading. And on the testimony of two or more witnesses, witnesses from the prophets, you've got sound doctrine right here, folks. That right here, they'll no longer be two nations. This is not figurative language. So does it say they'll be like unto two nations or in a vision? Two? No, straight up, plain old, this is not prophetic language. This is just plain speak. They'll no longer be two nations or a divided kingdom. They're going to be one people in his hand. The divinic kingdom is, this is the title that's been added by our translators. And my servant David will be king over them. Stop. My servant David, David's dead. Well, He's not talking about David or David. This is Yeshua. This is the Messiah. My servant, the Messiah. Well, how do I know that? It's going to be king over all of them. Yeah, but this is after, David's long gone When the tri, when the two houses are split. So he puts them back together. What's he going to resurrect David and not everybody else? No, no, that doesn't work because other parts of the scripture tell us that when the resurrection comes, it's everybody. The dead, uh, the whole sea gives up all its dead, believers and non-believers.
1: Another way you could translate this is my servant beloved will be king over them. because Or my beloved servant. Yes.
0: Yep. So this is messianic language. He says, and they all have one shepherd. Okay, that there's more. He repair. Who's the shepherd over the kingdom? I'm the good shepherd. That's Yeshua. It's the Messiah. And they will walk in my. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa wait a minute. Walk in my ordinances. I thought that's the, that's the Torah, isn't it? I thought the law is going to be dead under the Messiah. Well, no, Joe. This is the this is the millennial reign. Uh, yeah, you better check yourself when you think that millennial reign thing started. Is is is. Messiah, the Lord and Savior right now, seated at the right hand of the Father? Is is he not your Yahweh's servant? Is he not reigning over you? If he isn't, then he's not your Lord and Savior. He's not your Lord. So if he reigns in your life, he's your shepherd. Uh, Remember, we were just told, don't do it your way. Be careful with that. Keep my ordinances. Keep my statutes. Follow them. And they will live on the land that I gave to my servant, Jacob, in which your fathers lived. And they will, oh, Joe, that that, that right there, that's just, that. that's a holy land. See, this is, you're confused. Uh, am I? Am I? They gave from the river to the river. Yahweh gave that to Abraham and his descendants. You know what else he gave Abraham? The promise to eventually take back the entire world. Oh, you missed that in Genesis, didn't you? You better go back and study Genesis real close. Yahweh says he will take it all back. It will all be his inheritance. The Gentiles, the Hebrews, and the entire earth will come back to him. So be careful with this. He says they will live on it, and they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And my servant David, or the Messiah, or my beloved, will be their leader forever. And I will make a covenant of peace. Oh, wait wait a minute. The book of Revelation says that the Messiah eventually gives everything back to the Father. But here, David's got, you know, Messiah is going to be, unless, of course, the Messiah is the Father. Okay, anyhow. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. That's not the word for temple. It's his dwelling place. In the hearts of the, dev- the believers, my dwelling place also will be amongst them. What does Emmanuel mean? God amongst us, right? And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. The Goyim, the Gentiles will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Ezekiel 37 is not all that difficult, folks. It's talking about the reunification of the two houses. Now, when did that happen? (laughs) Um, What house did the first converts to the Messiah's new covenant, what house did they come from? They were Jews. First to the house of Judah, then to the house of Israel. The The first, the apostles, they were from the house of Judah. This idea that the church has replaced the Jews? Oh, nay, nay. Mm-mm. Remember, yeah. If you think that the church has replaced the Jews, then you've thrown a whole lot of God's promises out the window. Because He said, man, if you're going to replace, it, if you're going to replace the Jewish people as my chosen people, then you got to get rid of the sun and the moon and the stars. Are they still up there in the heavens? Yep. Guess what? The Jews are still the chosen people. But it's not Jews. It's Hebrews are the chosen people, the crossed over, the humble and contrite in spirit who tremble at the word of the Lord. He will choose those, whether you are of Abraham's loins through Isaac or Gentile. And it says that in the Gospels, and it says that in the book of Genesis. And it says that all the way through the scriptures. The Gentiles were promised a chance to come back into Yahweh's kingdom from the get-go. And the Jews stumble over this because they're the chosen people. Why do they stumble? What have they read wrong, Charlie? When the when our Jewish brothers and sisters see this and they think, well, I'm the chosen people, they read in the prophecies, what did they miss? They read the physical, didn't they?
1: Yeah, but right, yes. And
0: they miss the spiritual.
1: Yeah,
0: true. And it wrecks them. Wreck the Pharisees. So what else do we have, before I move on to anything, what else do we have in um, Ezekiel 37 that I might be able to address there, Charlie? You got anything else in your mind or head? Because I know that this is a big passage with our Mormon friends.
1: Yeah, and... and uh you know, w- when I look back, I'm like, "Why did I not see this?" You know, uh, but uh, because they they take this to, in and I, in a, I just I am I marvel at how they have twisted it because they only take a couple verses out of there, cherry picking, and then they they try to associate it with something that is nowhere near associable. Uh, even if you, especially if you go back to the original language, um, and such, so got to be very, very careful. You got to read the whole thing, and you've got to understand because it explains itself right there. Yeah, it does. It, it, towards the end, it explains exactly what that pro- prophecy is and what that object les- lesson is all about.
0: But a lot of us tend to read the chapter thirty-seven as those there's the, a the first part and second part, and that they're divorced from each other. Right. The bones are, got nothing to do with the two sticks. Oh, no no. No, 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 no. That's parallelism. Yes. The whole bone section is the stick section. They're yes. the same story. The, chapter 37 is a mini-bifid. Yes. Yes, it is. So if you don't learn to recognize Hebrew poetry, it, it's like trying to read a, a code without your decoder ring. Right. You're going to get it screwy. And... What that leads to is lots of fights within the body that are absolutely, they're they're unnecessary. And in this case, I don't blame the individual believer. I get really cranky with their teachers. Okay? Um, If you're a teacher of, of Yahweh's people, the very first thing you need to learn is to be comfortable saying, I don't know. I was once told that makes me a false teacher. I got a little news flash for you. Anybody who tells me they know everything, there's the false teacher. Yeah. Just adding, just to add on really quick, if you lie and say you know everything, isn't that a sin as well? That's false witness. Good. To admit that instead of admitting you don't know, wouldn't Yeah, but that's false yep. witness about the scripture right there. You better be careful with that. One. That's false witness on the word of Yahweh. So, (laughs) all right, do we have anything else for what we've done so far? Because I do have a few other things that I, I it will be harder to read, but I got a few other things I can throw up here for us. Let me show you this one. This is uh, I'm on Bible Gateway, see right up here, and I'm in uh, Revelation 20. This is after Satan is freed for a while. So, Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. We've already seen that in Isaiah, remember? According to your works, you're going to be judged. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We also see this right here in Daniel 7, starting in verse 9. It says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames and his wheels of burning fire and river of fire was flowing. This is all symbolic language of the of the ancient times. Dr. Heiser will explain this to you if you want to go search for that on the Internet. Just Dr. Michael Heiser and chariot and and wheels and flames. You'll find his explanation. This is coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands were serving him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court convened and the books were opened. The court convened? Well, doesn't Charlie tell us all the time that the language in the scripture is legal language? It it said court. Well, that's the royal court. But in the ancient times, with kings, the court, you know, all of his magistrates and people helping him, that was also the court where you came to hear your cases. It, It does mean the royal court. It's a legal court. So this is just supporting what Charlie's been sh- telling us. So <clears throat> says, then I kept, excuse me, then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words, which the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and given to the burning life, a uh, burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And I kept looking in the night vision. So we're in a, we're in a vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, so human form, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom, so that all the people's nations and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Well, yeah, Joe, that's the millennial reign. Okay. Okay. So if he's got an everlasting kingdom that cannot be destroyed, challenged or whatever else, um, this is after Satan's been defeated. his sh- Did you notice that in Book of Revelation? You know, chapter 20, Satan gets loosed and he has his short season where he fools the nations, and then he's defeated, and then the thrones are set up. So I jumped you back to Daniel. So everybody who thinks the thrones will be set up and Jesus gets his kingdom for his millennial reign and then Satan, well, wait a minute. Satan in the book of Revelation had already been defeated. And then you see the great white throne judgment, which is also in the timeline doesn't work. Unless, of course, it's kingdom now and not yet. In which case now what you're looking at is you've been in the kingdom since the ascension. And what you're actually looking at there now is not the coming of the millennial kingdom, but final judgment going into the eternal kingdom where David will rule over them forever and ever. Amen, that we just read about in 37. That's not the millennial reign. That's eternity. You've. Th- this is hard for a lot of folks because they, they, they do like, like Charlie was saying, they'll pick one or two verses and they focus on it forever. This is a jigsaw puzzle, folks, with... Thousands of pieces. You got to collect all the pieces and then you got to like, okay, well, this is a point in time and this is a point. In, you got to start looking like one of these conspiracy, you know, Bible conspiracy geek, you know, all your post-it notes on the wall and you're trying to connect them into the line. So they all make, make, make sense. When the, the, this is the, the linear timeline as we perceive it. <laughs> I literally did that about a decade and a half ago, literally did that. And that's what I'm sharing with you is what I've found and it all works. You don't have to, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to accept anything I'm saying. That, that That's fine. It's not going to bother me at all. I know I could be wrong, but it fits. It works. And that's the point for me. Um, <laughs> the only thing else I had up here is Zechariah. And we're going to handle that later. I'm working. I'm, I'm if you're, um, with us at all on our, um, Sabbath study. If you cross over and you join us on Sabbaths, I've been working on a, on, um, the kingdom in the millennial reign series. And we're going to be going through that baby steps when I get done with that. And I'm, I've got it in a more presentation a presentable way of doing it. I'll bring it here to y'all and we'll put it up on, uh, on at least three or four shows and we'll get it committed to the internet for those who might find some value in it. That one there is going to be even more vague than the, than the prophetic language series we just were wrapping up now, because the kingdom is a tough subject. There's not a, there's more hard evidence for the end times prophecies than there is for understanding the kingdom properly, unless, of course, you understand a few cultural things from the times that the Bible was being written that everybody just knew that it'd be like you and I writing something today and, and not bothering to tell you we live in the United States of America. We wouldn't see a problem with that for the most of us, most of our audience. But it's that, it, it's the air they breathed, the idea of what a, uh, a a dynamic, or I mean, a dynastic kingdom was like, a, a king's dynasty, that type of kingdom, you know, like Pharaoh in his house. That was just part and parcel of the world. We don't live under that, so things that are just intuitively inherent in their thinking go right by us. In the Bible, we don't even see it; it's there. Once you know what you're looking for, there are allusions to it. If you put that all together and you accept the divine council worldview that Yahweh has a council in heaven, like a royal family, and we have a reflection here on earth, well, now everything makes sense and it'll fall together a lot of people don't like the divine counsel worldview a lot of people don't like the way I'm reading prophecy because they it, it hurts their head to say to, to, to change their mind or to say that well I don't know or we're not going to know it, it, it just it's, it's unsettling it causes them to be uncomfortable I got that it, it takes training to be happy saying I don't know especially when you're dealing with God's word so but I've gotten there all right. That's going to pretty much Charlie. You got anything else for us today? Something you want to add in AI?
1: Nope. I think we're, uh, I think we're good.
0: I'm ready to wrap this series then. That's what we have. Not sure what we're going to do next week. We might have to talk about Easter cause that's coming up soon. I'm pretty sure that's probably where I'm going to go. I'm hoping to lean on Charlie here, but he's really busy, but he, he, he and I might have to do one together on the Passover feasts because we keep Passover in our congregation because near as we can understand the scriptures, we're supposed to keep doing that. You know, Yeshua said, do this in memory of me. We've turned that into the Lord's supper. Well, the Lord's supper was a Passover meal. I've already proved that once, uh, using nothing but scripture. I think I went outside of it for one little point. Um, and I even proved using nothing but scripture that Yeshua was crucified on what we think of as a Wednesday. What? Oh yeah. The timeline is in you. Ye- wasn't it, Charlie? The oh, timeline oh, was that, right that, there.
1: That's definitely there.
0: It. Nobody bothers to use all four gospels to put the timeline together. Yeah. If you do, all three full days and nights are right there in the yeah. Bible. Yeah. So it wasn't a Friday. <laughs> um. He'd like a class on how to observe Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread.
1: So would I. Oh crap!
0: You're aiming <laughs> that at me, aren't you? Well, well no, I'm just. Saying. <laughs> oh, you want to help us do the class, and okay. Well, I mean, I, I you I'll, heard I'll, that, Aaron? I'll, I'll, Charlie volunteered to help.
1: <laughs> I'll help, but I ain't saying I'm doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll
0: we'll have to get on that, Charlie, because that's going to catch up on us real fast here, yeah, folks. Yeah. Um, But we'll go over that in the next week or two. So th- the next week or two, we'll be dealing with Easter and Passover. The We've gotta serve as best we can here on this show. So that's what we're gonna be tackling those those things right there. So if we don't have anything else on the board at the moment, we're gonna wrap up for the day. We're gonna thank you for still being with us. And for those of you who are still helping us pay the bills around here, the bills didn't go anywhere. We just cut back to one day a week. Uh, y'all are very, 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 oh shit, I'm grateful to y'all. Thanks for the help. Um, you're beloved around here. Trust me. I do appreciate it. Hopefully, what we're doing on Wednesdays for the time being will feed you enough to keep up with us for a while. Um, and like I said, sometime in April we'll have a talk at least every other Friday. There's certain other classes I've, my wife, she's kind of lobbying for things to stay the way they are right now. And I get it. I understand things have been a lot better at the house. I've been in a better mood, but there are certain classes that I still want to and need to teach that will augment our wednesday shows and charlie and i have even been talking about them so if nothing else
1: yeah we miss you guys
0: yeah we do we do we got used to this but if nothing else we will definitely get to an every other friday show and that will be mostly logic and history but as it applies to your scripture studies so other than that folks i think we're done so we will see you next week y'all stay and safe and take care have
1: some surprise classes here and there
0: Yeah. I almost did one this week, but I got things going on now that I have to attend to still doing my business. Y'all take care of yourselves. Hey, if if we're helping you or in any way, shape or form, please share the show. Uh, it should be easier now. I'm not as crazy on Wednesdays, should be a little bit easier to deal with me and a little more open to sharing me, sharing the show with other folks. Uh, all we ask for is a fair hearing before you decide and take it to your scriptures and test it for yourself. That's all we ask. Till next week, y'all stay safe. We love you. Take care. Yahweh bless.